Open your Bibles this morning to the book of Romans, chapter number 8. While you're turning there, and uh, we encourage you to don't wait to start listening after we get there and read the text, I want to say some very important things in regards to what we're about to read. This letter, the letter to the Romans, and this chapter... And this verse, the text verse that we'll look at in just a little bit, should be of great interest to us, not only because of the subject matter, but also because of the man that God used to write this letter and this statement. No one who ever lived except Christ himself experienced such great extremes in life. The Apostle Paul suffered horrible hardships during his Christian life, and yet he is the very man that was caught up into heaven and returned. He knew what it was like to go from grief to glory. While he was here on this earth, he had an experience that was so wondrous that God said, it's not lawful for you to even utter, to even talk about what you've seen. But of even greater importance than the person who wrote this particular verse is the fact that this is a revelation from God. You know, God could have used anyone. He chose the Apostle Paul, and he did so for a very good reason, but God could have used... Balaam's ass if he wanted to. I mean, if he can speak through a donkey, why, you know, he could use anybody he wanted to, but he used Paul. But the thing that makes it so great is this is a revelation from God which tells us we know that it's true. Paul's not, uh, Paul's not expressing to us, you know, some wild dream that he has had or something that's been handed down by tradition. This is the truth of God's Word, a revelation from the Spirit of God to a child of God. And I don't think anyone here would doubt what I say if I say this old world is a world full of grief and trouble. And it, it is what it is. Job said, man, this born of a woman is a few days in what? Full of trouble. And, you know, I, I, just, I, can't, I don't know. I can't imagine anyone wanting to live forever in this world as it is. You know, considering the natural progression of age and the way that our body deteriorates and sometimes our mind and our hearing and so on and so forth, I... I don't, I don't want to live to be 200 years old. I'm not real sure I want to live to be 100. I, I don't know. That's all up to God, you know. But I wouldn't want to live here forever in the world as it is. And, uh, you know, I think deep within that all of us, whether you're a Christian or not, I think just about everyone hopes for something better than what we've got. The Bible speaks about the fact that God has set eternity in our heart. There's something to be said for that. God put a longing in the heart of man. As somebody said, there is a God-shaped vacuum within every person that only God can fill. 
So regardless of who you are or what you have or what you do, without God, there's always going to be that empty space within you. Well, thankfully, God has provided just what we long for. And that's why I keep saying, in fact, Bev found a plaque here a while back that makes the same statement, the best is yet to come. That's for a child of God. The best is always yet to come. I want to speak to you this morning about the subject from grief to glory. I want to begin reading in verse number 14 down through verse 18, and then we'll look at our text verse. Verse number 14 says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with Him, that we may be also glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Not to us, but in us. And hang on to that because I'm going to end up coming back to that before I finish. Notice verse 17. This is our text. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with Him, that we may be also glorified together. Now this verse is transitional. By that, I mean it sums up what Paul has just said, and it starts up what he is about to say. And here we're reminded of who we are and what we have as a result of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to just look at these, at these key phrases here that leads us from, from grief to glory. Notice in identifying who we are and what we have, notice the words that he uses. First of all, he says that if, and if children, so we know that He's speaking to those that are the children of God. You know, there's nothing more wonderful, I don't think, in all of the world than knowing that you're a child of God. And throughout this chapter, it, it, is, it, it is a record of blessed assurance for us. I mean, there's no chapter in the Bible that I know of that gives more assurance to the child of God than this chapter does. It tells us, in fact, that there's nothing that shall separate us from the love of God. And even the bad things that happen to us, all of those things work together for good to those that love the Lord or the called according to His purpose. And here, we're pictured as having been adopted into the family of God. And let me tell you, a lifetime of preaching and a person could never in any way exhaust all of the wonders of this truth. All we can do is just get a glimpse of it by looking at what follows. Now, before we look at that, that we have been adopted, as it were, into the family of God, and now we are the children of God, before we look at that, we need to first of all consider our wretched condition before that happened. 
before the adoption took place. And regardless of how hard I try, there are not enough words for me to describe what a wretched condition the natural man is in. The Bible describes it for us. For example, Ephesians 2, 3 says, We were by nature the children of wrath. Chapter 2 and verse 12, that same letter says, We had no hope and without God in the world. Let me tell you, it doesn't get any worse than that. No hope and without God, the children of wrath. And especially when you consider that there's nothing you can do to escape that horrible condition. Now, I didn't say nothing could be done. I said there's nothing you can do. You could join every church in the county. You could be baptized in the creek till every tadpole knew you by your first name. It wouldn't do any good. You could give every penny you've got to charity. And it would never change the natural condition that you're in. That's going to take a supernatural transaction of some kind. And all we can do is what God does in us accepting what He does. So we would be forever doomed were it not for the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. So many times whenever we, you know, try to describe our life before we're saved, and somebody says, well, boy, I, I was really bad. You know, I was addicted to alcohol. Somebody else, else says, well, you know, I was, uh, I was addicted to sex, or I was addicted to drugs, or I robbed a bank, or I killed someone. Look, it, it doesn't really make any difference. I mean, you were without God and without hope in this world and couldn't change the situation you're in. But Ephesians 1, 6 says, To the praise of His, the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. And now we see Paul describing this change by the use of the word adopted. That means to place a son into the family. That's the literal meaning of the word, to place a son or a daughter into the family. And Galatians 3.26 tells us that happens as a result of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. By faith in Christ, we are adopted into the family of God, placed into His family because we're not there by nature. You see, there's no such thing as the universal fatherhood of God. Not when it comes to redemption. God's the creator of all mankind, but God is not the spiritual father of all mankind. That's why Jesus said to those religious people of His day, Ye are of your father the devil, you see. So, you can forget all of this nonsense about the universal fatherhood of God and that eventually all of us are going to make it through the pearly gates. No, it doesn't work that way. In order, in order to go to heaven, you have to be a child of God. And the only way for that to happen is for us to, by faith, receive Christ as our Lord and Savior. That is a precious position to be in. Look at verse number 15, for example, and I'll show you what I mean. He says, you've not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. That's like a little child saying, Papa, Papa, Father. Referring to God in that manner. Yeah, you know, we think of God as our creator. We think of God as our judge. We think of God as the ruler and all of these other things. But when God says, I'm your father, wow, 
Yeah, yeah, you see, I mean, that, that becomes so meaningful. And this, we're in that precious position as being a child of God. And by the way, it is a present position that we're in. First John chapter three in the first two verses says, beloved, now are we the sons of God. It's not a matter of after you die, going up to heaven and having your good works weighed against your bad works. If you're saved now, we are the children of God right here, right now. You'll never be more a child of God than you are right now. Now, you'll go to heaven and, and you'll, be, you'll have relief finally from all of the suffering and the pain. You'll be rewarded for the service that you've rendered. And, and you'll enjoy all of the pleasures of heaven. But you won't be any more a child of God there than you are here. And not only that, it's permanent. Start reading in verse 35. Not right now, but later on. Right on through the end of the chapter. And he tells us nothing can separate us from the love of God. Death can't, life can't, troubles can't, even the devil can't. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. And that's why we ought to rejoice whenever we read that we have received eternal life. Never ending, everlasting. I mean, look, it is eternal. And if it's eternal today and I lose it tomorrow, it wouldn't have been eternal yesterday, right? So we have eternal life. We have, we have a permanent position in the family of God. And by the way, according to the laws back then, and I love the way God, you know, uses different words to describe our relationship. And some people have wondered about this matter of talking about adoption, adopted into the family. There was a reason for that, probably several. But you know one thing, you go back to that day, and, and a child that had been adopted in the family could never be disowned. Now, a natural-born child could be disowned, cut off from the inheritance and lose it all. But an adopted child could never be disowned. And we see a picture of security in this. But then the list goes on. It's also a profitable position. And that brings us to the next descriptive word, and that's the word heirs. We're not only children, having been adopted into God's family, we are the heirs of God. One writer in describing that said that this word adoption in the matter of being heirs, it says, speaks of being placed in a position as a son or a daughter who now possesses the same rights as the parent's natural children. It means formally and legally to declare that someone who is not one's own child is henceforth to be treated and cared for as one's own child, including complete rights of inheritance. That's the position you're in as a child of God. And Paul said to the Galatians, And if ye be Christ, then are ye Adam's seed, and heirs according to the promise. So, so God has given us this promise way back yonder in the Old Testament. This is not something new. This is a promise that God gave to Abraham and it's been extended all down through the ages that those who receive Christ as their Lord and Savior become the children of God and become heirs also. And by the way, we have assurance of that. We have a guarantee. You say, what's that? Because the Spirit of God dwells within us. That is the earnest, as Paul says, of the Spirit. He's given us the earnest. That is the guarantee of the Spirit in our hearts. 
I'm so I'm so thrilled whenever it says, you know, that concerning the ministry of the Spirit of God, and, and it's so sad that some folks don't believe this. Where I want you to notice what he says in verse 16. The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. You see, you could burn my Bible, get rid of the record, the written record. I could lose my sight and never be able to see again. I could lose my hearing and never be able to hear Brother Kenneth preach. I could lose all of those senses, but there's one thing as a child of God that nobody can ever take from me, and that's the witness of the Holy Spirit that is within me, assuring me that I am a child of God. Amen? That's why I can say, I've never, listen, I've never had one second of doubt. I've heard preachers say, well, if you've never doubted your salvation, I really doubt that you're saved. Well, I don't think you know what you're talking about. I don't. Some famous preachers have made that statement. And I'm telling you, look, it's not due to me when I say I've never doubted my salvation. How can I doubt my salvation whenever I have the witness of the Holy Spirit working within me, assuring me that I did everything I could to trust Christ as my Savior, and I know that God can't lie, so that tells me it's going to happen. Amen? That I am who God said I am, and that is a child of God and an heir. That's why I like that old song, you, you know, kept some, sings it sometimes, I'm a poor rich man. Well, I know that I'm poor, but i got a lot more than many rich folks that I know. Amen? Let me tell you, if you're a child of God, there's nothing poor about you. You might not know where your next meal is coming from, but you're not poor because you are an heir. But he doesn't stop there. Not only are we the children of God, not only does he say that we are an heir, I want you to get ready for this. Notice what he says next. We're an heir, but he says then we are heirs of God. Now, being an heir of God means more than receiving the things that He has promised. Because, you see, as heirs, we receive what He has promised. Are you ready for this? God Himself is our inheritance. We not only receive what He has promised as a result of being an heir, but we are the heirs of God. He is our inheritance. And the Bible speaks of that very same thing in several places going all the way back to the book of Deuteronomy. That God is the inheritance of His people. That's why we can say that we are His and He is ours. And in this case we see our greatest gift. And that is God Himself. God gives us Himself. Think of that. Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus came into this world as the Word. The Word was made flesh and dwelled among us, and we beheld His glory as the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So when Christ came into this world, it was God with us. And God gave Himself. You see, we possess God and all God has. We are an heir. We possess what God has, but we are heirs of God. You see, he could have just stopped by saying, well, we are children of God and we are heirs. 
But he says, we are children, we are heirs, and we are heirs of God. But he doesn't stop there. I mean, he just keeps ascending. And uh, I don't know how it could get any better than that. But think of what he says next. And we are joint heirs with Christ. Now, you could say that he is the, he is the reason and the result of being heirs of God. He's the reason for it. He's the result of it. Because our union with Christ assures us of sharing with Christ. And although he was despised and rejected Christ one day, the Bible says one day, he shall inherit all things. He shall rule over all of the earth. And us with him. We're not just going to be with Him in that kingdom here on this earth. We're going to be a part of it to the extent that we will have and be active in what He is doing. The Bible says, you know, if we suffer, if we suffer with Him, we shall also rule with Him. We could go on and on talking about what all this means. We are heirs of the world, the Bible says. The Bible says we are the heirs of the kingdom of God. We are the heirs of the riches of Christ. We are the heirs of eternal life. And then, as I said, He guarantees our redemption by giving us the Holy Spirit as the down payment, the earnest money, the guarantee that He's going to deliver on everything He promised. But Paul doesn't stop there. He goes on and he says that we suffer with Him. Now, you know, considering that we are so loved and that we have been so blessed, some folks are going to wonder, well, then why must we suffer? But you know, a better question than that is, why not? Why not? We get so hung up on that. Why would God let this happen to me? You know, a lot of times people just attribute it to life in general. Oh, well, it just happened, you know, and don't have any real explanation for it and talk about accidents and things of that nature. And it's kind of like the fellow that I read about, you know, that had um, in a meeting with an insurance policy. And, uh, of course, they wanted to know everything under the sun about him. And they asked him, have you had any accidents? He said, no. You hadn't had any bad thing well, happen to you? He said, well, yeah, I got kicked off a bronc last year, and he caved in my ribs and what have you. And, and then it wasn't but a few months after that, he said, a, a rattlesnake bit me and uh, about died from poison. He said, you don't call those accidents? He said, oh, no, they did it on purpose. <laughs> you see, we look... <laughs> We need to recognize that whatever happens to us happens on purpose. And, and we get confused by it because we, we look at our situation and we assume that we ought to be exempt from it. I mean, we're, we're the children of God. We are heirs. We are heirs of God. We're joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Why should we have to suffer? Well, there are a lot of different reasons, but none that you need to know. 
All you need to know, all I need to know, is that there is a reason, and it's a good reason. And those things that we look upon with disdain at the moment, we're going to look upon with great delight in that final day when we see how God put all of these things together and we see what it produces. We see the final product of what God is doing. You know, we're not in a position that we can really sit in judgment of God and say, you know, I just don't think this was fair that you allowed this to happen to me or that to happen to me. But when we see what was gained in our pain... The result, the bottom line of all of it, and realize that none of us suffered needlessly. Wow, that's the thing that will make all the difference in the world when we realize that everything I went through, everything that happened to me, came to me out of the depths of my Father's love and out of the greatness of His wisdom that He has dispatched all of these things that's happened to me. And I understand that because of our present immaturity, we don't, we don't see that right now. I, I don't see that right now. I was just saying a while ago, I was having a, one of the best days I've had in a long time. And, and we started to sing, you know, hallelujah, what a Savior. I think it's the first time in my life I've messed my neck up in singing. I, I had to quit singing. I don't know why God doesn't get, you know, take care of this. And I don't know why He doesn't heal my wife. And I don't know why He doesn't heal Brother Ron. I, I don't know why. But God's letting all of these things going on because God is at work in our lives to accomplish something. And we suppose in our mind that we'd be better off without these things, but God's smarter than we are. And if we were as smart as God, you know what? We would want the same thing God wants for us. I love what old Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said many times. He's a prolific author of many books. And he made a statement, and I jotted it down. He said, if you're suffering as a Christian, and because you are a Christian, it's one of the surest proofs you ever have of the fact that you are a child of God. And let me tell you, somebody that professes to be a Christian that never meets with any opposition or persecution or difficulties or whatever, well, you have cause to wonder whether they've really been saved or not. Because the Bible says, all they who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. The good news about all of this is the fact that Suffering only only lasts up until we die for the Christian. And in other words, there's going to be an end to it. There's going to be relief that's coming. And uh, boy, whenever we realize that, that one of these days that God's going to take all of the experiences, good, bad, and indifferent, and everything that we've gone through, and He's going to put it all together, and He's going to take us from grief to glory it makes all of the difference in the world in how we accept what's going on in our life. It should. 
because we can rejoice in the fact that God knows what he's doing. Now, there's one, listen, there's one last thing here. He could have stopped right there, but he didn't. But if you look back in the last part of verse 17, notice what he says. That we may be also glorified together. He just told us that we're going to suffer, right? There's going to be grief. Notice he said that we suffer with him. Why? That we may be also glorified together. So the question is, are you with or without Christ? Everything else hinges on that. Without him, without him, you'll go from grief to gruesomeness. And I chose that word for a good reason because it means frightful, repugnant, horrible. In other words, you're going to go from bad to worse without Christ. And if you got this idea, well, I'm not a Christian, but you know, but whenever I die, I'll just die like a dog and it'll all be over. Oh no, it's just going to be starting for you because let me tell you, there's nobody who ever ceases to exist. Nobody. Everybody's going to end up in heaven or hell, one of the two, and it all depends on whether you have Christ as your Savior or not. Without Him, it's gruesomeness ahead for you, but with Him, we go from grief to glory. Amen? And He said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse number 9, He said, I have not seen nor ear heard Neither has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for us. Think about that for a little bit. Whenever we talk about going from grief to glory, I think of, I think of that song that means so much to Bev. That in, in fact, she said, I want that song sung at my funeral. It says, I can only imagine. Wow, that, that is a powerful song. I can only imagine. You see, in the first place, it's because we will see Him. Isn't that going to be something? We'll see Him as He really is. Not as He's been depicted on the canvas or sculpted in the clay. We'll see Him as He really is, but more than that, we'll be with Him. It'd be one thing to see Him over yonder, but we're going to see Him, but we're going to be with Him. But it doesn't stop there. We're going to see Him, we're going to be with Him, but we're going to be like Him. And it doesn't even end there. We're going to see Him, we're going to be with Him, we're going to be like Him. And notice, we're going to be joint heirs and together as we glorify the Father. Sitting in the office this morning, thinking about the message today, and I decided I wanted to end with this verse in First Second Thess- Thessalonians chapter ten or chapter one and verse ten. And, and I got so wrapped up in it, I thought, if I do that, I'll be preaching two hours. But I want you to I want you to think about what I'm about to read. Paul says, When he shall come, speaking of Christ, when he shall come to be glorified in his saints, and to be admired in all them that believe 
in that day. Do, do you know what that's really saying? This is saying that in that day, and there's coming a day when the Lord's going to come. In that day, we're going to see Christ glorified in glorified man. He's going to be glorified, not, listen, He's going to be glorified not in what we do, not in what we sing so much. He's going to be glorified by what we have become, that is, what He has made of us. You know, people talk about the fact that the artist is known by his work. Somebody that really knows what they're doing, they can, they can look at a painting and they can tell you, oh yeah, that, well, everybody knows Picasso could have done that. Nobody else would have. Anyway, that's another story. But, you know, they can identify the artist by the work. And let me tell you, when it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ, He's going to be glorified, notice, in His saints. And that's why Paul said in Ephesians 2.10, we are His workmanship. That means masterpiece. We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. An old preacher many years ago by the name of G. Campbell Morgan made this statement, and I close. Speaking of this verse in Second Thessalonians, he says, while that is... A radiantly beautiful description of the goal toward which we travel. Should it not also be the ideal for our present life that we should so live that He may be glorified in us daily and He be marveled at as the one to whom we owe everything? You know what He was trying to say there? He was saying this wonderful truth is not all about the sweet by and by. He said it's also about the nasty now and now. Right here, right now. When we think of heaven and we think of that day that we stand up there and we are presented as a masterpiece. Not for what we've done. No, stand and say, oh, here he is. He preached over 50 years. He did this. and he No, no, no. It's, it's, going to be, it's going to be the presentation of the Master's work. This is what the Master did. That's what, he'll be glorified in me and in you. But it's not just about what happens then. If that is the ultimate aim to which, toward which God is working, and it is, Romans 8, 29... God's at work doing what? Forming Christ within us. You see, if that's what the ultimate goal is, that's what I ought to be working toward right now in this world. And that's why we say so many times that our chief purpose in this life is to glorify God. That's your number one responsibility above everything else on this earth, to glorify God. not a matter of us bragging about what we've done for God. It's all about, in some ways, it's not even so much as, 
about what God's done. It's about who God is. That we might present Him, as it were, to the world for their consideration. This is our God. Well, the Jews did that. They came along and in the face of all of the other religions that believed in a in multiple gods, some of them thousands of gods. The Jews stepped on the stage of life and said, No, our God is one God, Jehovah, one God. And that's why every nation on this earth hated the Jews, because their belief in one God. And I want you to know this morning, if you're saved, that God is your God. You're a child of God. Amen. And you're adopted by God. You are an heir. You are an heir of God. You're a joint heir with the Lord Jesus Christ. And although you must suffer grief here in this life, it'll all end in glory. His glory. Let's stand together. Father, Lord, even if we had the tongue of an angel and all of the wisdom of Solomon, there'd be no way in all of the world that we could ever present these glorious truths in a fashion uh, that, that's deserving. But Lord, I pray this morning that the Holy Spirit will do what we can't do, and that is apply these truths to the heart of each and every one that's here today. Help us, Lord, to realize the great privilege that we have as a child of God, who we are and what we have. And may it ever be our greatest privilege as well as responsibility that we live in such a way that we bring glory to your holy name, that we can honestly say, for to me, to live is Christ. And because of that, to die is gain. For we beg it in Jesus' name. Do you know Him as your Savior this morning? Do you honestly know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're a child of God? If you don't, you can settle all of that right here, right now, by simple faith in Christ. Would you trust Him right now while we sing?